right, good morning, Transit family. Feel free to uh, grab your seats, grab your seats. How's everyone doing today? We good? Good, awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Just kidding. We're in uh, Jonah. We are in Jonah this morning as uh, the sermon series slideshow. Uh, so turn to Jonah in your Bibles. We'll be in this book till Christmas. And so I'm really looking forward to this. Raise your hand if you have heard a sermon series on the book of Jonah before. Anyone here heard a sermon series on the book of Jonah? A couple. Okay, a couple. A couple of y'all. Okay. Um, so our hope with this series is that over the next eight weeks that God would melt our hearts again afresh with the gospel. And as a result, our attitude and our actions towards others would represent and model the compassionate heart of God towards those around us. That's why our sermon series theme, as shown in uh, the slide there, is Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. That's actually a verse of scripture from James 2, 13, where he says verbatim that, that God's mercy triumphs over judgment. And one of the reasons we want to hone in on this over the next eight weeks is if we are honest with ourselves and our relationships with other people, it's the opposite. It's not necessarily that uh, mercy triumphs over judgment and how we treat the other person, our enemies, or even those closest to us. It's often judgment triumphs over mercy. And instead of us erring as recipients of God's grace shown to us in Christ Jesus, instead of us erring on the side of giving grace and compassion and mercy, we often err on the side of calling down judgment and, and wrath and harboring resentment and anger towards those against us. And I think one of the reasons we do this is we often suffer from, if you read Paul Tripp, Paul Tripp talks about uh, this illness that can pervade the Christian church and it's gospel amnesia, gospel amnesia. And the side effects of gospel amnesia are devastating to the church where we forget that we've been recipients of undeserved grace shown to us in Christ Jesus. And so therefore we, we forget what we've been given and therefore we give self-righteous judgments and condemnation to other people. And if you're asking, well, how do I know if I suffer from this condition called gospel amnesia? And it's a really simple question that I'm going to ask us and I'm asking myself this morning as well is here's how you know if you struggle with gospel amnesia today as a follower of Jesus. What do you think God owes you in your life? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was hoping would happen. <laughs> mm, oh, yeah. It gets you, right? What in your life do you think God owes you? Judgment or mercy? Depending on how you answer that question changes absolutely everything in your relationship with God and relationship to other people. And what we know as followers of Jesus is that we believe that the only thing God owes us is judgment, not mercy. And yet, out of his great compassion... The way we receive mercy is he gave judgment upon his son so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be reconciled to God. What do we think God owes us? How we answer that question changes everything about our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And often we view our walk with God as kind of an employee-employer relationship, right? employee-employer relationship where, man, we punch our hours. Like some of us today, we're like, God, I woke up early today. I got all 18 of my kids here on Sunday to come to honor the Lord's day. I'm punching the card, man. I was at community group. It's been a crazy week all around and at work. And I was at community group and I'm doing my best to, to pray on my commute and not call down fire upon people commuting with me. 
And so I punch the card, and now I say, God, you owe me. I've worked hard. Give me what is due because of what I've earned. Give me what is due my hard work. And so we receive a pay, with that attitude, we receive a paycheck, and we don't, it's not a thank you, it's a you're welcome. I earned it. That's mine. Uh, my little guy, like six months ago, we're trying to teach him manners, right, as you do as a parent. And so we're like, hey, buddy, say thank you. When somebody uh, says something nice to you in public or when mommy gives you dinner, you say thank you. And so we'd say, hey, buddy, like, say thank you. And he would go, yelkum. You're welcome. And he would drop that in public. Like, you, we'd be like, some, some person, you know, at the checkout somewhere would be like, hey, go Caps, I really like your shirt, but, you know, little guy. And, and be, hey, buddy, say thank you. He goes, you're welcome, you know. <laughs> and it's like, man, like the audacity. Like, I've given you the honor and the privilege to serve me. So you're welcome for that, you know. And yet, how often is that our attitude and our, you know, we'll, we'll never be grateful for what we feel entitled to. We're never going to be grateful for what we feel entitled to. Um, and how often is this our attitude that um, we've earned God's grace, we've earned his mercy, we've earned his favor. And what scripture makes crystal clear is that the only thing every human being to walk on the planet earth has earned before a holy and a perfectly righteous and perfectly just God is not his mercy, but it's his judgment, his justice, his just judgment against our sins. And so sometimes we have this understanding that at the end of our lives, we're going to hand our, um, our stat sheet, our, our punch card to God and say, okay, God, let me in, right? And instead, it's actually God handing us the receipt for the debt that we owe him and saying, who's going to pay for this? Anyone here pre- play uh, credit card roulette? Anyone know? Cre- raise your hand if you know credit card roulette, the game. Some of y'all, okay, let me explain it to you. I discovered this game in college. I lost a lot of money playing this game. And uh, in college, my buddies, we would go out to fancy restaurants like Chili's and Ruby Tuesday's, you know, and, um, and, and buy lots of food. And then someone at the end of the meal would be like, hey, let's play credit card roulette. And you didn't have to, you didn't have to do that, um, but you also kind of had to do that. Otherwise, you'd be shunned from the, the group. So anyways, there's like eight to ten of you, and you could get away with just paying like $15, $15 but, uh, or like $350. And so anyways, the way it works is someone says that everyone at that meal had incurred a debt. Like that's when you go to Chili's and you get not loaded nachos. And uh, there's a, a key leader at the church who, believe, who, who made this statement, I won't say who, that Chili's had the top five burger of all time in the world. Um, <laughs> I, won't, I won't name names. It wasn't anyone on the stage. But anyways, um, and uh, you, incur, you incur a debt. You incur a debt. And then the waiter or waitress comes and says, here's what you owe us for the, the choices you decided to make. And so then someone says, hey, we, I, want it, I want mercy. So I'm going to play credit card roulette, and you throw all your credit cards into a hat, and you try to pick a card that isn't really bright. You know, someone try to throw their license in there, you know, whatever, like, you know. And then the waiter or waitress comes and, and says, hey, pick, pick a card, any card. And then whoever gets that card chosen, everybody's debt that they incurred goes to that substitutionary atonement to that person, Right? It goes to that person to pay for that dinner. And um, I think sometimes, the reason I want to share that is this, is that sometimes when we view mercy, we, we believe it's just free. That there's kind of three options when it comes to uh, our debt of sin. Religion is one option. Religion says that at the end of my life, I know that I, oh God, I understand that before a holy and just God, I have fallen short. 
of his standards of, of perfection, holiness, and righteousness. And if we're self-righteous, maybe we say, well, I haven't done all these bad things. But then Jesus would say, well, have you fed the hungry? Have you clothed the naked? Have you visited the, the, the uh, imprisoned? Have you loved the orphan and the widow? What good have you done? If God is a God of love and compassion, how have we modeled that in, in how we've spent our time selflessly or selfishly with the money and time that he's given us. And so one of the ways we atone and try to pay a debt that we can never pay is through religion. I'll, I'll do my best to pay this back. And, and the debt is so in, insurmountable that we can't do that. But the other option that I think oftentimes we struggle with is just reckless, not religion, it's recklessness, where we are banking our lives on the fact that when we pass from this life to the next, God is just going to, to just kind of ignore our ignoring him our entire lives. We call that the dine and dash option, that we think we can actually, that nobody needs to pay the debt. And God is a just God. He's also a God of love and compassion. But that debt that we've incurred has to be paid. And the third option, the third option that we're here today and we've sung about today and we're going to be looking at over the next eight weeks is redeeming grace. God's radical, God's redeeming grace shown to us in Christ Jesus. That Jesus, God in his great love for us, he saw Uh, us under the curse of sin that none of us here could ever find our way back to God and be set free from the penalty that we've incurred running from God. And Jesus came running for us and he said, put their debt of sin onto my account and I will pay it with my perfect life and perfect sacrifice on the cross so that whoever looks to me and says, I want Jesus, I want his free gift of salvation that he purchased for me will actually receive God's grace and mercy and have their debt cleared forever, and live now under, not on God's judgment, but grace. And so when we say, this is everything I'm getting to, the longest introduction to any sermon I've ever preached, but this is what I'm getting at, is when we say mercy triumphs over judgment, what we're saying is God's mercy has triumphed through his judgment. That judgment came to Jesus, and therefore grace has come to me. And that's the only reason that grace has come. Isaiah 53, 6 says it this way, all we like sheep, have gone astray, every single one of us. We've sinned, we've turned from God, every one of us, to his own way. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. That's our hope today. We don't look inward. Faith is not looking inward introspectively at ourselves. And if we have enough money and enough religiosity to to pay our way to God, no, faith is looking outside ourselves to the finished work of Jesus on the cross and trusting in him and receiving what he has purchased for us. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life forever. And why is all of this important? Because we export to others what we import to ourselves. Uh, The reason I'm slowing down here and reminding us of the gospel is we export what we import to ourselves. It's impossible to give mercy and compassion and grace to others if we do not believe that we have been undeservingly shown that in Christ Jesus. This is the way Jesus puts it in Luke 18, 9 through 14. He says this. Jesus also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Did you see that connection there in the scriptures? People, Jesus is saying, he's teaching them this. Why? Because uh, 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 he, he also told this to, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. If we trust in ourselves that we can pay the debt we owe to God, then naturally the natural outflow of that is we will self-righteously look down at others who can't get their act together. We've gotten our act together. God, God owes us grace and mercy. Why can't they just be more like us, be like the church, and get their act together? And this is the parable. 
two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. Can you believe this prayer, right? But how often, we don't pray this, but how often is this subconsciously our condescending look to those outside the church that don't know Jesus, right? If we, if we, if we took a hard look at ourselves objectively with the spirit of God before his word, and what hard, one of the reasons we have gospel amnesia is Christ saves us out of really, really hard, terrible paths of destruction. And then by the Spirit, we kind of get our act together. We're bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. And we get farther and farther and farther removed from where we once were. And then what the enemy does is, is the sanctifying work of, of God by the Holy Spirit through Christ our Lord. We begin to take credit for the Lord's work and look down at other people. And although we might not pray this prayer in our condescending look and thoughts and, and attitudes towards people of different religions or, or races or, or morality, we have this attitude. He's standing by himself and he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And I'll just keep preaching. Who are the other men for you today, this morning, that you look to to compare yourself before, before a holy and just God to make yourself feel better? The people you just, the people that, man, your hands are on the keyboard and you just want to cancel on social media, right? Who are the other men? Extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Look at my stats, God. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But then look at the response of the tax collector. When you hear tax collector, think like sleazy, sleazy businessman who sold his soul to the devil he turned his back on his own people and on his Lord to make money. That's how the tax collectors were viewed in that day. And standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And so returning to our question that I asked at the beginning, what do we believe God owes us? What do we believe God owes us today, mercy or judgment? And the next question would be this is, and if you are in Christ Jesus and you've said yes to Jesus' finished work on your behalf on the cross, what, if, what has God given you? What has God given you? And then the third question that we're going to be putting the finger on, hopefully, through the word, by the Spirit, these next eight weeks is, and then how are we going to treat other people because of that? Because of how God has dealt with us, how are we going to deal with others? Are we going to err on the side of grace and compassion or wrath and judgment? So now let's talk about Jonah, okay? There's the, that was a little heavy, okay? That was a little heavy. We're going to talk about Jonah. Often when you think of the main theme of Jonah, this is immediately what you think of. Uh, don't run from God or a big fish is going to come and swallow you, right? That's often how it's preached. Uh, Jess DeFruit did our slides for the series, and was we were talking about it, and she was joking about some of the research she did. All of it was about the whale, right? It's like a big whale coming and eating Jonah. Like that was all uh, the slides. And so sometimes we get distracted on that. That's not the main point of the story, right? The main point of the story, according to biblical scholar Mark Frutato, who is a well-respected biblical scholar, um, he says that this is the primary theme of the book of Jonah. The primary purpose of Jonah is to engage readers in theological reflection on the compassionate character of God. So what we're looking at these next eight weeks is we're looking to God. What is God like? Yes, he's a God of justice, but he's also a God of boundless compassion. 
boundless compassion. And that's shown to us in Christ Jesus fully on the cross where both his love and his justice meet. To reflect on the compassionate character of God and then we self-reflect and then in self-reflection on the degree to which their own character reflects this compassion so that they become vehicles of compassion in the world that God has made and so deeply cares about. Will these next eight weeks, will we not come to listen to uh, a sermon? Will we come to have God search our hearts and say, God, I want my heart to match your heart. Jesus, how do you view uh, them, the other? How do you view the world? And is my heart going to melt by the gospel and by your spirit and match your compassion? He, He continues and he says this, the Lord is a God of boundless compassion, not just for us, quotes Jonah and the Israelites, but also for them, the pagan sailors and the Ninevites. And so the truth of of our God is that, yes, we have experienced his compassion and grace, and his grace is for us, and his grace is also for them, and them being defined as anyone outside the four walls of this church. That can can our God of grace become their God of grace because the number one idea that is trending right now in our world and has been trending for a while is an us versus them mentality. Right? We talked about this last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's message, we address what's happening with Israel and Hamas. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. I just encourage you to listen to that. But right now, we are being told and encouraged to pick a side, any side. Any side is great as long as you hate the other side. Um, as long as your heart is full of, of hate. That's great. So this is why we end up in a certain camp so we can point the finger and say we hate the progressive left or the radical right or we hate people of certain religious groups or ethnic backgrounds. And Jesus, I believe, flips the script for his followers. And instead of Jesus Christ giving us an us versus them paradigm, it's us for them paradigm. It's an us for them paradigm. It's not us versus them. It's us for them. And them being those that hate us, uh, those that hate Christians, those that uh, persecute us. Um, Look at, and and don't take my word for it, we're going to go to to John 17 here. This is what Jesus says. It's an us for them paradigm. This is what we have to offer the world. In the face of hostility, in the face of opposition, Jesus Christ prayed for the very people that were putting him to death on the cross, not calling down judgment, but calling down mercy. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. If they, if they weren't darkened in their understanding by their sin, they would have clarity enough to know what the God, the Father, for Jesus, our Savior, our model, was calling down mercy and compassion and forgiveness, not wrath on those who were putting him to death. John 17, the high priestly prayer. Jesus' prayer before he gets betrayed uh, in, in less than 24 hours is going to be crucified. I have given them your world, your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And watch this. Okay, so Jesus is saying to followers of Jesus, the world will hate you. The world is going to hate you, disciples. You will be hated by all, Matthew 10, for my name's sake. And then Jesus, okay, so God, are you going to take us out? Beam us up, Scotty. Are you taking us out of here? And then this is what Jesus says. I do not ask that you take them out of the world that hates them. Do not take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, who their true enemy is. Our enemy, Ephesians 6, is crystal clear, is an unseen spiritual force of darkness behind all the evil we see in our world. That's our enemy. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in your truth as your word is truth. Verse 18, so I'm getting to you. 
as Father, this is Jesus praying, as Father, as you have sent me into the world that hates me, will reject me, and will crucify me, so I have sent them into the world. We cannot have an us versus them paradigm. It's an us for them paradigm in our hearts, in our hearts. That's the invitation of Jesus, and that's what's going to change the world. That's why this gospel changes the world. The hearts of human beings receiving the grace, seeing a community, a haven, a refuge of people who understand God's boundless compassion to them, and that's what they give to other people. And so it's crystal clear that just as Jesus was sent to, to save a, a world, proclaim a message of salvation to, to sinners who didn't deserve it, you and I are sent by him to the same world that hates him and hates us because they hated him first. And this is what we see in Jonah, returning to Jonah. God sent Jonah to proclaim a message of salvation to a people who hated him and hated the Israelites. And oh, by the way, Jonah hated them back. Jonah hated them back, right, which is crystal clear. We'll see in the narrative of Jonah. And so my hope this sermon series is that this would be a heart realignment for us, that we would be, un if you've been uncomfortable so far, that's really good. Hopefully that's the Holy Spirit. No, no unnecessary stumbling block I put in your way, but we're coming here. The word of God being proclaimed and preached should make us uncomfortable. And so we're going to be stretched, Lord willing, by the gospel again of God's boundless love and, and mercy and compassion shown to us. And my, my hope is that God would pour his love afresh into our hearts to remind us of who he is and what he calls us to do uh, as people who were once hostile to him, as those who don't deserve his grace and mercy. Will his mercy flow through us to a world that desperately needs his mercy as well. So let's read our text today, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then uh, we'll pray and dive in. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and went down into it and to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we fix our eyes on you today, God. The anchor, the fortress, the refuge our only hope in life and death. Lord, would you fix our eyes off of current events, what's happening in our world, what's happening just in our world this past week, Lord God, or personally, God, and would you today just fix our eyes on you, and would we hear the refrain that those that are heavy laden and full of guilt, would they hear the refrain that it is finished? Your sins are forgiven, paid in full to the account of the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. Would you melt our hearts by your love that it's actually really true that your mercy has triumphed over judgment and that we both now and forevermore are living and standing in and breathing in your grace, God. So everything good that comes to us through your hands, your nail-scarred hands, Jesus, is, is what we don't deserve. You've lavished it upon us. Your grace is immeasurable. Your kindness, your compassion. And Lord, as your ambassadors in this, in this really dark time in our world, 
Lord, will we look to you, will we remind ourselves of your sacrificial love, that Jesus, if you did not come to us, if you did not move towards your enemies, if your, if your posture was us versus them and not uh, us for them, if that was not your posture, Trinity, we would be left in our sins and we'd be eternally separated from you. And Jesus, you came to a world that was hostile and hated you. We just went through a whole sermon series looking at the apostle Paul, who was essentially a radical religious terrorist killing Christians in the name of God. And you saved him and you flipped his life. You interrupted his life and flipped it for the kingdom of God. And generations after generations for thousands of years have been changed through that man's life. Through the power, not of judgment, but through the power of grace that you showed him. And so, Lord, remind us of the beauty and the wonders of your compassion and love for us. And may that move us, not in a legalistic way to go love our neighbors and to preach this grace, but in a way that's just sincere, that we want nothing more than to share that grace that we've been shown with others. Because that's what evangelism is, is just simply sharing the grace that we've been shown with others. So have your way with this series, have your way with our hearts. I just pray, Lord, that Jesus, you would be magnified and you would increase and I would decrease in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what do we know about the prophet Jonah? What we know about Jonah is that he was a prophet of God who ministered during the reign of Jeroboam II. Uh, That reign was from 782 to about 753 BC. And Jeroboam II ruled Israel, the northern kingdom, and Jeroboam II was actually a wicked King, And this is um, uh, what we learn about Jonah and where the, the, the nation of Israel was at under Jeroboam's rule around this time. 2 Kings 14, 23 through 27. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, he began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. And verse 25, we see he restored the border of Israel from Lebohamoth as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according, watch this, this is where we see Jonah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter. For there was none left bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So we see the height, uh, the highlight of Jeroboam's rule was that he actually expanded the borders of Israel back to uh, the time of the, the reign of Solomon and King David. So what we learn here is that this period in the history of Israel was a period of peace, and prosperity for Israel. Peace and prosperity for Israel. Remember that. That God had used a wicked king to bring about a period of rest and peace from their primary enemy for the last couple hundred years, the Assyrian empires. The greatest international threat to Israel for the last 50 years was Assyria. But during the latter half of the 8th century, that empire was in decline and Israel was enjoying uh, an unusual time since the, the time of David and Solomon of peace and prosperity. And so this is what we know about Assyria and Nineveh at the time. Some fun facts. I'm setting the scene, the setting for uh, the book of Jonah for us. 
the kingdom of Assyria, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was battle-weary during uh, the latter half uh, of, of the 8th century from circa 800 to 750 BC. The Assyrian empire was weak, it was in decline, it was riddled with multiple conflicts with the Arameans. There was widespread famine throughout their empire and numerous revolts throughout their empire. And what we know about Nineveh, the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which is uh, located uh, in modern-day Mosul, Iraq, um, it sat on the east bank of the Tigris River and was over uh, 500 miles northeast of Israel. And Nineveh was a great city, as described in our text. It was thriving, had multiple luxuries, such as public squares, uh, parks, botanical gardens, a library, uh, even a, a zoo, and Wi-Fi throughout the city. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> See if you guys are still paying attention. Uh, and if you'd studied history, and maybe you've heard uh, a series on Jonah before, what we know historically is that the Assyrian Empire was barbaric and savage and cruel. Was cruel. It was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Certain kings were known for their torture, dismemberment, and decapitations of their enemies. I would sh share specific examples, but uh, I, would, I want you guys to keep your breakfast uh, of what they did. Um, and uh, one biblical scholar said, Assyrian history is as go gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. So that's the backdrop. That's, Nin that's Nineveh, that's the Assyrian Empire, and then Israel. Israel, man, peace, prosperity. They're actually not at war with Assyria. They're not under oppression. They're expanding their borders. And the Assyrian Empire is famine, revolts, uh, multiple conflicts. They are in decline. And so that's the historical setting the narrative of Jonah finds itself in. And if I were to retell it in my own words about Jonah's life right now, if we were to imagine and use our imaginations and put ourselves in the shoe of Jonah, Jonah had a sweet gig as a prophet of God, okay? One, we saw that the one recorded prophecy of Jonah um, was a health and wealth prosperity message, right? He said to Jeroboam II, hey, a classic, classic, uh, if you, <laughs> this is your season, Jeroboam II, or that's like a classic, anyways, caricature of pro prophetic ministry, like, if you, anyways, this is your season, whatever that means. This is your season, right? But it actually, so not only that was his message, it wasn't like wrath and judgment, repent and God will relent. It's like, hey, God is going to use you, a wicked king, to bring peace and prosperity to his people because God is a God of compassion. And then not only did Jonah get to say that, but then it actually happened. He called the shot. God actually spoke through him. It came to fruition. And so what we see in the kingdom of the nation of Israel at the time, the economy is booming. People are happy. Jonah is probably buying real estate. He's planting his roots. And this is a season in the nation of Israel where you'd ask, why would I ever want to leave my people? Why would I ever want to leave the borders of Israel? This is a great time to be alive, right? Maybe a coffee shop recently opened up, like a new Starbucks outside of, you know, Samaria. And he's drinking his pumpkin spice latte. And he's spending time with the Lord. He's got his journal out. He's got his beat headphones on because the economy's booming. And, and he's about to play some Shane and Shane and just, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then my man, the prophet, gets a phone call. And it's from God. And he sends it to voicemail. And then he listens to the voicemail later. And this is the word of the Lord that came to God. And we were praying. Uh, you guys are free to join us at 9 a.m. We pray over our service with the altar prayer team. And one of the things that came up was that God is the divine interrupter of our lives. And in his grace to us, he blindsides us with his grace. One of the most beautiful things being in ministry is seeing that happen to people who just don't know God. They're living in ignorance. They're living in sin. And then all of a sudden, you just come alongside them, and God is just 
literally interrupting their lives and changing their life forever. It's one of the most beautiful things to see. And this is the word that God gave Jonah in a time of peace and comfort and prosperity. Go to Nineveh, arise. Verse two, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Quick side note, often we encourage and we want to encourage people to, uh, we are continuationists uh, here. Three things we wanna be known about, being biblically serious, spirit empowered, and zealously missional. And we at the transit are continuationists. We believe all the gifts of the Holy Spirit have continued for the building up and the encouragement of the church and the advancement of the gospel. And so we have a Hearing the Voice of God class coming up on November 4th, a Saturday seminar. We highly encourage you to, uh, to attend that. It's one of a kind. Uh, I believe it's one of a kind in this area where you will find a very biblically based and sound uh, a seminar and teaching on why, on, from a biblical basis, we should be earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts, especially that we prophesy and doing that in love. But here's the thing. As we begin to cry out and say, oh, God, I haven't heard your voice. I want you to speak. If you speak, I'll move. If you speak, I'll go. Just speak, and I'll do it. And then God speaks. He says, go to Nineveh. And you say, God, I don't know if that was you. I don't know if I heard you right. <laughs> Could you speak again? Could you make it more clear? I don't like that word, right? And one of the most beautiful things on my journey out of cessationism and into continuationism, and God in his undeserved grace to me began to speak to me in ways I never thought imaginable in my own life. And then what I began to cue in on was, oh, God isn't just trying to speak to me. He's trying to speak through me to all of these people I haven't talked to in like 10 years who are far from him. And I'm getting a download in my dreams about sins or struggles they're going through. And I hit them up on Facebook, or maybe I still have their number. And then grown men begin to cry who don't know Jesus on the other end of the phone line because of the word that was given to them. And I see God's heart, the spirit of God flowing through us so that the mercy that I've been shown can go, go to those outside of the four walls of the church. And so Jonah gets a word from God. He's a prophet. Oh, God, please speak. God speaks. And if we're honest, if we put ourselves in Jonah's shoes, he's having a whirlwind of emotions. One, for Jonah, for, we don't want to read too much into the text, but we do know the historical setting is that for the first time in a very long time, Israel was, it was in a really good spot, the nation of Israel. So maybe that meant Jonah was in a good spot. Life was good. Maybe he had comfort and safety. He was going to live out the, the Israelite dream, you know, fully fund his, his thing. And then after his prophetic ministry, retire and, uh, and, and surely not leave to go to any pagan lands when God is blessing the nation of Israel. And one of the number one reasons we disobey God is because a, a couch is better than a cross for us. It's comfort that keeps us from taking up our cross and going where Jesus called us to go. Uh, traveling 500 miles is, is hard in 2023. It's extremely hard and dangerous if you're an Israelite traveling into a pagan land over, you know, uh, dangerous roads, no Ubers, no airplanes, right? And so life is good for Jonah. That's hard. That's a hard calling from God. It's, it's, it's life-changing. We all would wrestle with that. Secondly, not only is life good for the nation of Israel, and let's just say, uh, using our imaginations potentially for, for Jonah the prophet, but Nineveh is evil. Nineveh is savage. They're brutally barbaric in the morality. Their religion is demonically pagan. And the way Israelites viewed the Gentiles where they were ethnically inferior to them. Jonah despised the Assyrians. It wasn't just the Assyrians that hated 
the Israelites, but Jonah despised the Assyrians as well. And don't take my word for it. Look at Jonah 4, verses 1 through 3. This is after, spoiler alert, Jonah ends up going, and Nineveh repents, and Jonah's angry about it. He's angry about it. Verses chapter 4, after Nineveh repents. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly that Nineveh wasn't shown judgment, but that they were shown grace. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, watch this. He's mad at God for being a God of compassion. Oh, Lord, is this what I said when I was yet in my country? Like he knew it was going to happen. That is why I made haste to flee from you. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do we, is that the God we worship? Jonah knew God so well, he knew that if he went, that God would show him mercy and compassion. And he didn't want that. It offended him. God's grace offended him. They didn't deserve it. Oh, the Israelites, they deserved it. The Ninevites did not deserve God's grace and compassion. He was mad at God for God's mercy. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's Jonah responding to the grace of God shown to his enemies. So we put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. And, and we, can, we can put up a religious front and be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, like, I love you. We love me. Like, I, I don't have any resentment in my heart. Give me a break. We're Jonah in the story. We're Jonah. God has called us to go in love. This doesn't mean that nation states don't have a right to defend themselves. Biblically, God has entrusted them to authority to defend the, uh, their citizens from terrorist attack, right? But on an individual level, as followers of Jesus, in our, in, our, in, our, in our heart posture of how we view the other, how are we going to respond? Are we going to model God's heart and compassion to those around us and err on the side of mercy and grace, not as judgment? And the third thing that Jonah is wrestling with is not only was life potentially good for him and Nineveh was evil, but thirdly, the plan of God to Jonah was absurd, was insane. So, so Jonah, if you're putting yourself in Jonah's shoes, he's, he's at the Starbucks, pumpkin spice latte, all that stuff, and then the word comes, and he's going, okay, so, so God, let me get this straight. So um, we've been at war with the Assyrian Empire, like forever, uh, and you're telling an Israelite to, to cross that border and, and to go to Nineveh, that great city, and as an Israelite to, a, to pagans who don't worship Yahweh and say that my God is ticked off with y'all because you guys are a bunch of uh, filthy pagan sinners and you need to repent. And if you don't repent, judgment's coming. One, Jonah, I mean, I guess Jonah knew what we see. In, 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 but if I'm in Jonah's shoes, I'm saying, that's not going to work, God. And what's going to happen is I'm going to die. Probably a barbaric, savage death like that's and, and like i don't want that to happen the plan for jonah what he's thinking is absurd but how often how often is that our view when god calls us and, and we just we 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 don't have eyes of faith towards those that don't know jesus in our lives we have eyes of doubt we look at maybe our neighbors or loved ones we're saying there's just no way that person will ever repent there's just no way they're ever going to see it and god's like but i'm a god of boundless compassion and mercy and grace. Will you continue to go? Will you continue to love? Will you go on my behalf? Jonah's thinking there's no way they're going to repent. There's no way I'm making it out of Nineveh, Nineveh 
alive. And so what did Jonah do? He just came up with a different plan, a better plan, right? And this is what sin is. God tells us to do something. We say, that plan stinks. I got a better plan, and I'm going to go. I'm going somewhere else. No, thank you. And this is what we see in verse 3 that Jonah did. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And we're not, biblical scholars aren't entirely sure where Tarshish or Tarshish or however you uh, pronounce it is located. But what they do know is that it's essentially the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. Like, they, they believe that they're taking a guess it's Spain, that he's trying to get to Spain. Like, if I, can just, if I can just get away, as far away from Nineveh, then maybe God will be like, okay, it's going to be too much work to get you back to where I need you to go. But God's like, Jonah, that was so cute. Nice try. I'm sending a submarine to swallow you and get you back to where you need to go, right? But here's what we see. God is a God of compassion. That's why he was sending Jonah to Nineveh. He didn't want Nineveh to perish. He wanted them to be spared. So that's why he sent Jonah. God wanted them spared, and Jonah simply didn't care. And Jonah chose his own safety and his own comfort over thousands upon thousands of people destined for, for destruction, receiving salvation and grace. That was Jonah's decision, that I'm going to look out for number one. I don't care about the thousands that are going to perish without your grace. I've received your grace, and I'm going to take your grace, and I'm going to run to Tarshish with it. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to take your grace, God, and run to Nineveh with it. And so the question for us this series is not out of duty or out of obligation, but searching our hearts. Are we going to take the grace of Jesus Christ shown to us and run with it and run away from God who is saying, I'm sending you into the world to love and to model and to proclaim this good news? Are we going to run to Nineveh with this great news of salvation? And so I'll conclude with this. Band, you can come on up. We're going to uh, take communion. If you uh, need uh, communion elements, they are in the hallway. If um, you're here today and, and not a follower of Jesus, we just ask that you just pray during this time. We believe that the Lord's Supper is a, is a family meal. So if you're a Christian visiting today in good standing with your church, we just highly encourage you to participate with communion uh, uh, with us today. And I want to conclude with this. This stuck out to me at men's Bible study. Um, every Wednesday at 6 a.m., uh, some men gathered here every other Wednesday in the multi-purpose room, and we just look at the sermon text that will be preached. And so if you're here and, and you want to attend, talk to Jake, talk to me, talk to some guys that attend. We'll give you the info uh, on that. And um, one of the things that we prayed for at the end, I just asked the group was, What's the main takeaway from this today? We can talk about all the fun facts, the history, um, exegesis, and, and, and interpretation, but how is the Spirit of God wanting to apply this to our hearts? And that's where I want to leave us today. What stuck out to me in men's Bible study, what I felt the Lord minister to me, and I feel like the message that he wants to leave us with before we take communion, was this line that we see in verse 3. I'll read it again. Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so Jonah paid the fare. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And that phrase, paid the fare, jumped out at me. And I believe that 
explicitly, like clearly describes our sin before God. That we take the, the time and the breath and the life and the money God has given us. And often in our sin, what we do with that money is we go the opposite way. And that's what sin is, is we're, we're paying the fare to run away from God. Incurring a debt before a holy and just God with the money, with the life that he's given us. All things were created through Christ Jesus and for him. And with the life he's given us, we've run from him. And with our own money, we've, 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 we've paid the fare to worship mammon through consumerism and greed. Maybe we've paid, paid the fare to fund addictions, uh, addictions I can name, addictions I, I won't name. Maybe for vanity, all of our, our money has just been spent on our, ourselves and our false gods and not spent to advance the kingdom. And the question that remains is, is all of us are guilty of paying the fare to run away from God. And what communion commemorates is that how did God, a God of steadfast love, who's slow to anger and abounding in compassion towards those who are running away from him, what did God do is he paid our fare through the priceless cost of the gift of his son, Jesus, to us on the cross. He paid our fare of sin. We incurred the debt. We button mashed that, that debt of sin using our time and our, and our money to run from him. And what did Jesus do? He said, pay everything that Jonah spent to run away from me, everything that, put your name here, everything that you have spent in your life to run away from me, I have covered it all. I have covered it all. It's been charged to my account. So you're no longer under judgment. You're no longer under condemnation. You are under the avalanche of an eternal grace and compassion that you do not owe. Jesus has taken the hit for you. It's his broken body and it's his shed blood. Wrath fell on him. Judgment fell on us. And today what we celebrate is thank you, God. Grace and compassion has come through your judgment to us. Wrath to Christ grace and peace and love to us so now that we can come together with the assurance that we are welcome and we belong forever as sons and daughters to our King of Grace. So let me pray for us and then we'll take communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that the way you reveal yourself in the word is that you are a God of compassion. You are a God of kindness. You are a God of grace. And I pray that today for believers living in guilt and condemnation that they would say, yes, I believe that. I believe that I am forgiven that I am not stained with my sin anymore, but that you, Jesus, have washed me and cleansed me and made me new and I am filled with your spirit and that we would no longer be living, paying off a debt that's already been paid, making payments on a mortgage that's been paid off in full. Will we truly believe it and truly receive it? Because if we don't, we don't have that to give to other people. And this is only the work of your Holy Spirit, God. So Holy Spirit, come and would you, would you rest on us? Would you comfort your people? Would you remind them of your love, the evidence? Thank you, God, you've given us tangible, physical evidence of your love for us in this meal, saying, look to my son. 
You are no longer under mercy. You're under grace. I love you. This is why I did this. Because I love the sinner. I want the sinner to come home to my table. So I've paid the bill. I've paid the fare. It's been charged to my account. Don't stay distant from me anymore. There's nothing in between us anymore. The veil has been torn. The wall of hostility has been broken down through Christ Jesus on the cross. And so, God, I pray that the response today would be sinners running to you, receiving your grace afresh, knowing, Jesus, that in this meal you love to feast with tax collectors and sinners, God. It's the very work you came to do. So we come just as we are. We can come no other way. We don't have the ability to clean ourselves up. We look to you, Jesus. It's through your blood that we're cleansed. And so we celebrate that today, God. And would you transform our hearts and our minds afresh by your gospel? And would you truly, God, give us not an us versus them mentality, but an us for them mentality? Because when we were against you, you were for us in our sins to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we love you and we bless you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.